straight ally, heterosexual ally, or cisgender ally is a heterosexual and cisgender person who supports equal civil rights, gender equality, and LGBTQ social movements challenging homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia. Not everyone who meets this definition identifies as an ally. I'm Brittany Schweitzer, and this is Calling BS. Okay. All right. I have Brendan here with me from Montreal. Is that correct? You got it. Yeah. And um, he's here to kind of give his insights on different parts of, uh, I guess, being an ally in the LGBTQ community. So um, one question I always start off with, Brendan, is what do you identify as? So I identify as straight and ally to the community. And it's so great to be on, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Now, do you have many friends in the LGBTQ community? I do actually. Uh, Montreal is a very open, open community. We have we have a, we have our own um, space in the city where you know the LGBTQ community can can really come together and and join as one as one group. So yeah, I definitely have a lot of people in the sector, and I also work with a lot of them at work as well. Oh, amazing. Um, so do you have any stories with anybody um, as being an ally in the community, like from where you work or just your friends in general? Any stories of them coming out or discrimination? Yeah, of course. I would say one that comes up to me is uh, I have a friend named Ricardo in one of the companies I used to work at, and he's he's a huge change maker within the company. I think it goes to show you how much of a difference you can make as just one as one individual. So he started of movement at uh, at his company that I used to work at Price Waterhouse about creating events for the LGBTQ community where people mm-hmm. can gather and share their experiences and in ways that we can come together whether it's you're whether you're an ally to the community like me or whether you're someone who's a part of the community we can join as one and figure out strategies and ways of how do we do business better Right. And I think that's that's one thing that comes up to, to everyone listening right now. If you're if you're part of a company that isn't as supportive as a big conglomerate would be like an IBM or a PwC, try and find other people within the community in your company and band together, because that's what will make manage, the management team in your company realize that this should be a priority, especially with what's happening now with the different movements and Mm-hmm. pandemic i think i think now instead of looking at this as a negative i think we can flip that coin and say this is probably the best time ever to start that movement so go ahead and start it that's amazing so did he so he started it within um your company or what if is a company he worked at you got it so that was the company that he was working at so i used to work there and i was i was helping okay. him with some of the events so what 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 i find interesting about the initiatives that rick took on was it wasn't just you know a happy hour where they talked about different issues. They also had panels. They also had coding challenges on how we can code and create applications and programs that are a lot more that are a lot more uh, inclusive to that community mm-hmm. as well, and keeping those constraints in mind when creating products or services. So it's similar to to how do we build products for. Uh, for like we don't we don't when we design a product when we design a software we don't have that 
community in mind, right? And that leads to different flaws and gaps in, mm-hmm. in the product or service. So, so those, so that's the angle that I think Rick took on that I think is really important because we we kind of miss that part of the equation sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think um, there's a rhyme problem in Kentucky and the U.S. and um, there's a couple organizations that are nonprofits that work to like teach, you know, in- inclusivity and teach people about that stuff and how to deal with it within the workplace and whatnot. So that's awesome that he helped do that within his own organization because some companies need that. They need people to step up and show them that they need to be more inclusive and teach them how to, you know, sell that way and promote within the company and in- include everybody. Absolutely. Like just to build one, a super easy example that I'm sure your community could relate to is multi-gendered bathrooms, right? Just many organizations today don't have that. And I think that's that's quite appalling that we don't have those bathrooms in every organization. So that's an example of of creating a product or service without without designing for the LGBTQ community and having them in mind. So by thinking, well, if someone doesn't identify as male or female, then how can we create a space? Or even if in that case, you know, you know, that's more sexual orientation, but it, it could apply for any type of identity oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. So, so those mm-hmm. types of things, I think th- those are the small changes that lead to a bigger impact because every time a management executive goes to the bathroom and sees that, I know it's a simple example here, but it conditions that person's mind to, to think, oh, I need to keep this in mind in the decisions that I make in my everyday life and as a business owner or somebody who's making decisions in my organization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I feel like that's happening now within all the movements. Some people just weren't thinking about it, but now things are being brought to light and it's like, oh, okay, we need to change that and improve it. And once someone makes the change and they're making it aware, everyone will kind of be like, okay, this makes sense. So having an inclusive bathroom, okay, that lets everyone know that they're welcome and any manner, it doesn't matter what you identify as, who you are, you know, it just makes them feel included. Absolutely. Like, I think uh, one one interesting thing we'd talk about is, is this idea of why the movement was so successful in such a short period of time, right? This is something I've always thought about as someone who wants to keep solving as many problems, whether it happens to be equality amongst genders, races, and ethnicities, or whether it's, you know, what I do in public speaking. So, for instance, if you think about the the movement itself and the legalization of gay marriage specifically, what I find fascinating is how quickly the problem got solved. So if you think about just 30 years ago, that was not a thing, right? You know that very well. But what's interesting is as soon as one of the states legalized gay marriage in the U.S., it didn't take that long for all 50 states to legalize it because we the movement just started getting bigger and bigger exponentially. As many people, including myself, who were straight, started realizing that there was a problem and started aiding that community as well. So I think it's all about leverage as well and how you can think about who else can we can we get into this community, including the ones who aren't necessarily LGBTQ, so you can move faster and achieve greater things? Yeah. Another thing that makes a larger impact, um, and we're seeing it now, is just social media and the media. So, yeah, 30 years ago, marriage wasn't legal 
and it slowly was happening. So from your point of view, it seemed faster, but it was just 2015 when they legalized marriage in all 50 states. That was only five years ago. It's, so that's mind-blowing because when in my state, that wasn't legal until five years ago. Other states, they, it was legal. So I think uh, banning together on social media, even companies showing their support um, in, in all ways is showing people that the movement, any movement is powerful as long as you have social media pushing it to advance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think building on that point, when you have that trigger, like that that triggering event that leads to the dominoes falling and to the change that we're making, I think that's what leads. So yes, it definitely is unfortunate. I completely agree with you, Brittany, that it took so long for that legalization to occur. But I think what's also great, you know, because I always like looking at the positives, right, is yeah. is how, because that's how we move forward, is is just how quickly all of the states legalized together. So if you think about Massachusetts, which I believe was the first state, but don't quote me on it, which is around 2005, 2006, and then all the way over those the, that span of 10 years, everyone just legalized. So I think it's those types of changes we need to think about. So for example, yeah. one easy thing the audience can think about is how can we band together as a community so that every single organization has multi-gendered bathrooms? So you can look at me and say, Brendan, that's not a big change. But as a single individual, we often get confused and, and worried about how can I make a change as one person? And what I always tell them is make that small action because once you have that quick win, so let's say you work at a company right now that doesn't have those multi-gendered bathrooms and you, you, you get a petition together, it takes a couple of months and you get it done. That leads to what I call momentum and that momentum gets everyone else in the community excited about doing that. And then we can move on to the next small change and the next one. And then they start to rally up very quickly. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, have you ever had to defend anybody in the LGBT community within the workplace? So I've been very fortunate because all of the, the companies I've worked for in my life, there's never been a situation that has occurred simply because I'm young. So when I entered the workplace, mm -hmm. I was already quite young and there's already large acceptance. Uh, mm -hmm. Culture has already pretty much been changed. And I've also worked at very big conglomerate companies like IBM or PwC. So so those companies are very proactive. They already had their own communities and their own events when, when I came on board. It's just what Rick did at PwC is he really added more efforts to what was already being done. So unfortunately for me, I never had to be in that instance because I, I was lucky that I picked the right companies to work for. Yeah, that's good. That's one big thing when you also when you're choosing a company is watching what their uh, morals are and values are in a company. And if you see that they're going to be inclusive and they, you know, it has a diverse community, you're in the right company because you want to be somewhere that's going to be forward moving, not backwards, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are other ways that we can also support and help the LGBT community for you example, as an ally, like what else can we do within the workplace? What's another example beyond the bathroom? Of course. So some things that come to mind. So I think I'll speak on this from a business perspective and also what my area of expertise is so I can add some specific value here. So I think one is understanding the business case behind the LGBTQ community. So let's think about this from uh, 
from a business perspective that's what's really going to get management moving from my perspective so if you think about banks or like um, we take a chase bank or a bank of america or an rbc in canada or different companies that are client facing so let's say you take an ibm or a pwc the reason in a practical sense why they've adapted to this to this new change in the culture so quickly is not just because they're supportive of the community but also because it makes sense business-wise so let's say for example i work at a bank and i don't have a director who's a part of the lgbtq community so let's say you're a wealthy client and you realize that there's nobody in my company that has someone in that community you're just going to go to another bank right so what's interesting from a client-facing standpoint is we're forced to change. And I think that's a good thing, right? We have, yeah. we have to leverage that. That's a great thing. So what, what you want to think about first is whenever – because we have to understand that the world works on incentives, right? So if we see someone who isn't agreeing with us, who doesn't believe what we believe, the first thing we need to do is understand why they don't and then shift that perspective to something they want. So let's say – there's a company that wants to make more money and they say, well, you know, this is too expensive. We don't have time for these types of events. You can retort with, well, how many clients are you losing because you're not investing in this type of initiative, in this type of imp impactful work? And then he might or he or he or she might say or however they define, they might say something like, oh, well, I'm not sure how many clients I would lose. But if we show that to them. We say, look, this is how many people are in your community right now, whether you live in the state of Florida, whether you live in Texas, whether you live in New York. And these, this is the percentage of people who are customers in that sector that you're currently playing in that are also part of the community. And that's how much revenue you're losing. So then they look at it from a pure business standpoint and say, we're making a fatal mistake here. We need to gather people from the community, make a change, or we're going to go out of business. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the world is turning into. And from a public speaking standpoint, I think what I would say is a general message to everyone within the community is if you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to start a movement, it is almost essential to learn how to communicate effectively, whether that happens to be a blog, if that's something you're more comfortable with, whether that happens to be a podcast is what you're, we're doing right now, or just simply going in front of a school, going to a high school going to a company and presenting to 30 people. The more people that are armed with communication skills within the community, the more effective the change that you'll make in the world will be bigger. So I'm sure the first thing that you'll say is, well, Brendan, not you, but maybe the community. <laughs> oh, I don't want to go speak at a thousand people and speak at these big stages. And that's not at all what I'm pushing. What I'm pushing is the simple example, going back to the bathrooms, when the executive calls you in and says, Brittany, I want you to explain this to me. Why do you think it's so important? Now you can gather all of the information from everyone in your community, practice a very robust, very professional presentation and come up to him or her and say, hey, look, I'm Brittany. I'm your all-star employee. And I think this is an issue with the company we need to fix. If that executive has half a brain, they'll look at your super professional presentation that you've prepared, that you've spoken, that you're very well articulated and say, Brittany's right. And change will be made faster. But if you can't articulate that change properly, even if it's something small like this, it's going to be harder for us to scale. So remember that public speaking equals scale. 
if you want to make a difference one-on-one -on -one with somebody, you don't need strong communication skills. But if you want to go from one-to-one -one to one-to-many, like you're doing with this podcast, Brittany, reaching much more people in the community, now you need to work on your communication skills because that those little changes is what will lead to the big impact in the end. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, because, I mean, so I, uh, I own my own company, and I only have, there's 10 of us. So that's, you know, as long as you can articulate what you're saying to like, even for me, to my employees, they're going to understand and they're going to be like, okay, that that's good. But my, my other point is as an owner of a company, which is what I actually, what I am. And I give my employees as the owner all the right to come up to me and say what change also needs to be made. So I might not personally think of something and it's not that I'm even being, you know, I'm not including people. I just might not think of it myself, but if someone comes to me, like you said, and says, Hey, this change needs to be made. I'm like, wow, thank you. First off to coming and telling me and articulating what you need to say. I think that's a great idea and then we can make the change. So you're, I mean, you're right on as an owner. I'm completely there with you as long as, you know, public speaking, when you talk to someone and you explain what you want to be changed, it can go a long way. I love that, Brittany. I think that's a great perspective that you added there. And I think one other lens we can look at is from the business owner one as well. So let's assume like you're, you're, a, you're a bit, not you specific, because I know you're a business owner, but you're a business owner in general within the community. The next thing mm -hmm. you can do is ask yourself within the same sector that I'm playing in, who else, who other, the based on every other business owner in the room or in that sector, who is more supportive or less supportive? And who are less supportive and why is that the case? And then you can band together with the people who are supportive as business owners and make a much bigger impact within that space. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a, I am, I have a business coach. And so every quarter we actually get together for quarterly planning. And this isn't about LGBTQ. It's actually about millennials. So we, I was in the CEO circle talking to, to them and one of them started kind of bashing millennials and I'm sitting there like, wow, I'm a millennial. I own a company. I'm very successful. I have employees that, you know, they look up to me and we're making changes in the world as millennials. And he's just going on about how, you know, what are the, what are the things that they say about millennials that they're, um, lazy. <laughs> yeah. Lazy that they're um, entitled and all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, you're really seeing this the wrong way. It's, they want to find an, a, a, find a point. Like they're not trying to work they're, They want to work to get money, but they also want to work for a purpose. They're not just going to go to work to just get a paycheck. There's a difference. Like they're, they want to make a difference in the world. And he was like, no, no, like millennials are this way. And I'm, I, I was literally like, I am a millennial. He goes, but you're different. I'm like, that doesn't, that you're not making your point at all. You're just saying that I'm different just because I'm having this conversation with you. And it's just, again, educating somebody who's in a different generation 
about topics. So this, that could have been easily changed to the LGBTQ community. He could have said something about them when in the workplace. And it's just, you got to help people, even somebody that's in a different company, you know, help them understand that what you're saying isn't necessarily correct. And you're just, you have your own opinion and perspective, but you need to learn from others to gain, you know, acceptance in your own in your own company. Cause if you're sitting there bashing millennials, who's going to be the next generation that even comes in there to work. If you don't accept them, no one, you're going to have a dying company soon. So it's just very interesting. You have, it's not just even within one organization as a, as a CEO owner of a company, I have to also educate other CEOs and owners to understand like their perspective and how they're coming off to their employees. Absolutely. And and I loved I love the points that you added. I think it leads to a great insight for this discussion, which is too many people take a point of data and generalize it to the whole population. Yes, they do. Gosh. Crazy. So let's say you think like even 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 positive stereotypes, you go, Oh, the LGBTQ community does this. It's like how can you generalize for an entire community? Right. Makes zero mm-hmm. sense. So I think one insight that could not your audience, I'm sure your audience wouldn't make this type of mistake, but you know, for, for the people we're trying to educate and inform, there's this great quote that I love from this book called uh, Principles by Ray Dalio that I highly recommend people take a look at. But basically what he argues is instead of just saying, this is what I believe to be true, this is the truth, the better question we need to ask ourselves is why do we believe it to be true? So let's say we think about gay marriage in the 1990s. That was just not a thing. People thought it was wrong. But instead of saying this is the truth, because it's not the truth, we need to ask ourselves instead, why do we believe that to be true? Can't two people just live the way that they would want to live? What 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 harm is that doing to society? Right? Just not even thinking about it from an emotional perspective, just from a rational one. If two people from the same gender or you know however they identify as come together as a union and don't do harm to other people and are just happier. Doesn't that just make sense? Right. Just from a rational perspective. So I think, I think that's, what's missing in society is as humans, when we grow up in, in, and you know, all this, but I'm just repeating this for your audience is as we grow up, we learn new tendencies. We, and we essentially forget to remove those tendencies and challenge the very thing that we believe. And most people aren't willing to do that. Like the executive you mentioned, that's what leads to all these problems in the first place. Yes, exactly. So are you actively supporting the LGBTQ community right now within your workplace or um, if there's any like nonprofits that you're doing or anything like that? Yeah, of course. So, so the way that I always like to approach it is, and I think the, the point that I'm driving with, with my impact is it's always important to do what you believe will add the most value to the community. So for me, what I do is, you know, podcast shows like this to show my support for the community. I attend a lot of events at work. But the big thing that I do for for me as as an individual is my goal in life is to arm the world's change makers to share their ideas with the world. Because I found that there's not that great, there's no great resources on how to speak properly and how to communicate. But for me, change maker is anybody. If you're a 16 year old girl named Julia who just wants to raise a hundred bucks for a favorite charity, or you're someone within the LGBTQ community who says, 
I want to, I want this change to happen, but I'm scared of public speaking. I want to be there for every single person, however they identify as wherever they live in the world to give them those resources that most of them probably can't afford because speech coaches are crazy expensive, right? So that's why I wanted to create these resources for everybody mm -hmm. in any community to get better. So I think my little, I guess my little impact in the world is, is just spending every day always thinking through my content and asking myself constantly, is this helping every single person in the community? Am I excluding anyone from this type of conversation or information? And how do I create a plethora of knowledge? So it doesn't really matter what age, what, what however you identify as who you are, where you are in the world, that you can take advantage of the information. Yeah. Uh, and Brendan, if you want to plug in your YouTube or your podcast, so if anybody wants to find you and learn more about public speaking, I mean, I watched one of your YouTube videos and you hit great key points on there. So I think it'd be great to let other people hear what your handle is and yeah, see what else sure. you have to say. No, absolutely. And I always want to point out when I'm on a show, I'm not famous like Brittany or anything, so you can totally message me on <laughs> Instagram. I'm at Matthew <laughs> I I answer all my DMs, so you can just message me over there. And if you're interested in looking at the videos as well, they're all free. I don't have a paywall or anything. It's at Master Talk in one word. So if you have any feedback for me, feel free to send me a message on Instagram. I'm always happy to chat. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Brendan, for being on here. I loved hearing your insight and hearing from an ally's point of view on different things that we can do within the workplace and in the community. I think it's a great perspective that everyone needs to hear and feel the support and not just the community itself, but to know that there's allies out there that are supporting us. Of course, it's been my pleasure and an honor to be on the show. Thanks for having me, Brittany. Thank you so much.